Wait for it, wait for it, and we're live. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans. It's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just a couple of nerdy veterans and one chaos coordinator geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. We are the podcast that puts the fun in dysfunction. So without further ado, we're going to let our guests introduce themselves. And yes, I know the alphabetic order might seem not... Not seem right to you, but word has spoken. Stop sending me emails. Some word does it with the first names, and everyone's like, "No, you're supposed to alphabetize by last name." It's wrong, like, oh, people. But anyway, they say that when you're when you're putting stuff out there, you should put mistakes on purpose because they'd rather correct you than help you. As a general rule, of the populace. So if you, oh, yeah. you get more engagement by messing up on purpose, we haven't stooped that low. At least not yet. But all right, Chris, can you introduce yourself to our listeners and viewers at home? Sure. Hey, guys, I'm uh, Chris Denote. I uh, write military sci-fi and uh, starting to branch it out in other genres. Um, you can find me on uh, Amazon and um, in a couple different Bane and India anthologies, uh, including Tour Press, among others. And uh, that's me. Over. Oh, freaking silly. And he came to brag as well. It's, everyone's bragging about their libraries today. So he sat right in front of his giant, massive collection. How many books do you think you got in there? At least a thousand. I'm told that makes it an official library. Um, don't 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 say that number. My wife will my wife will hear that, and then the next thing you know, it'll be like one. We'll marry Condo the heck out of it, whether I want to or not. I said nothing. I heard nothing. We're moving right along. <laughs> Still an impressive library, sir. All right, Mr. Nathan Belliat. Ye- uh, okay, how do you pronounce your name, sir? It's bad yet, uh, depending on who you ask. My brother actually pronounces it differently, but we won't talk about him. Um, I am, uh, well, I'm happy to be here for the first time. Uh, I am a, uh, an author, limited uh, stuff out right now. Uh, you can find me on NathanBalliot.com as well as on Amazon. Uh, I'm in one short story anthology uh, by New Mythology Press, and I have another story coming out with New Mythology Press in April. Nice. What kind of uh, short stories are they? Are they all over the place? Just fit, well, new mythologies. What they're fantasy. two different, two different fan- fantasy and urban fantasy so far. And I'm I'm working on a science fiction novel um, set on a post-Earth uh, future uh, based on the life of uh, William Marshall, uh, the English knight. Sounds fun. What made you decide to use him as the model? Uh, I am a historian by education, and uh, one of my uh, more significant courses was on medieval England, uh, and he just struck me as the most important person nobody knows about. Um, and uh, his his career, when I talked to Tony Weisskopf, uh, uh, mentioning that uh, she might be seeing a novel in her slush pile at some point, she asked me one question, uh, how are you going to make him seem real? And so I'm trying. Nice. The, um, for, for your history degree, did you get master's to doctorate or did you stop at the undergrad? Uh, just undergrad. I, I work in IT and uh, okay. I earn far more than I could make with a history degree and have for 25 years. So I feel insulted. I feel like that was targeted at me. <laughs> <laughs> I got a master's in colonial American. Uh, which, you know, I, I, my undergrad, they let you sort of focus. So I got uh, ancient and medieval, which is like a really wide swath of time. Uh, but to do those, you kind of have to travel abroad and learn foreign languages. And I barely speak English. So I'm like, American history it is because we speak yeah. English. 
Yeah, that that was a, a big uh, a big detractor for pursuing a history degree as well. I just didn't have the interest in the other languages. Yeah, I feel you on that one. All one right. Reason why, one reason why going for a history degree is great because it was like you need a degree for a, for a commissioning requirement. And it's like uh, okay, history sounds good. And uh, yeah, the, the master, you know, the master's part. I, I did. I, I punished myself with a master's in middle history. Unfortunately, I didn't make myself hate it in the process. Nice. I went the wrong way as far as like degrees as far as being an officer because I did not fit in because everyone had like a, either a, a business degree or a history degree, mostly history degree. And they're like, what about you, Garber? And I'm like, I got a degree in graphic art and design and, a, and an MFA, <laughs> Master of Fine Arts. Nice. Like, yeah, get away from our table, dork. <laughs> I found out the hard way that I wasn't meant for interacting with the general public when I interned at Valley Forge, though. Apparently, a lot of people get their t their history knowledge from TV, and it's not often right. You know, if you tell them they're a moron, it hurts their feelings. They write their congressman. It starts a whole thing because you're technically a park intern. Well, I'm sure we can find a better way to call them a moron without calling them a moron. We'll figure it out. Okay. So I was an intern at Valley Forge, the house where Washington stayed the summer or that winter with him and Martha and his staff. Uh, we were talking about everything that in the house was either historic to the house, historic to the time or a reproduction thereof. Because when Washington went anywhere, he took a detailed summary of whatever was in the house and inventory. So they couldn't accuse him of stealing anything. Right. Because there was already the rebel ruffian reputation the Continentals had. And so they reproduced everything. So we tell them that and we say, can you tell the one thing that's been reproduced that's definitely not historic. And someone said, the floors, that's the right answer. And I said, why do you say that? Because they have nails. They didn't have nails back then. So without missing a beat, I opened my mouth, insert my foot, and I said, so they glued Jesus to the cross? Wrong answer. He went home, called his congressman. It was a whole thing. So some year, a hundred, someday, a hundred years from now, someone's going to dig into the congressional records and find that one line item because it was a, uh, what do you call those, congressional inquiry or whatever. It's got my name on it. <laughs> <laughs> called constituent a moron. Anyway, let's not bore everyone to tears because most people don't find history as exciting as we do. And we're going to let Mr. Paul Sparks introduce himself. I am Paul Sparks. I've got three short stories in William Allen Webb's uh, Last Brigade universe. I've got another uh, short story that's going to be published one of these days in Three Ravens Press's uh, Embers of Corsari Anthology. And I didn't make the first round, but I'm in the running for the second round of Rafi Tower Press's uh, Giant Freaking Robot uh, Anthology. I've got, you can find me on Twitter, uh, Shades Wolfhaven. At Shades Wolfhaven, I've got an Amazon author page, and I've got a Facebook author page, Paul Sparks author. Nice. Since and, everybody uh, was talking about degrees, I've got two bachelor's degrees, one in cultural anthropology, one in healthcare administration, and an associates in uh, applied engineering. Cool. I study dead people, but yours sound lots of fun. <laughs> um, so... Are you just mostly drawn to that? It sounds like a lot of post-apoc um, stuff. Is that what you are sort of drawn to? I'll write whatever is going to sell. I'm trying to be multi, uh, be able to write multiple genres, not just shoehorned into one particular genre. 
friend of the show, Casey Azell, who has on record a, an episode that was even longer than David Weber's, calls that genre fluid. Yes, I'm genre fluid. Genre fluid. I like that. Uh, Nick, Trip is the only one that's beat the uh, the two and a half hour mark that Casey set. Uh, yeah, I remember. We had to have an intermission for that one. It was long. Anyway, all right. Let's go out to the lobby and get ourselves a snack. <laughs> or drink, whatever. We don't judge. All right. And the next part of the introduction, dear listener, dear viewer at home, is how we first met. So we actually all met hanging out at the local uh, recruiting depot, but apparently the emperor didn't want us. So we just joined the American military industrial complex. And here we are. True story. So I guess we're, we're glad the emperor didn't want us because we don't live very long in his service, I think. No, no there's actually a great meme that talks about you know, it says, "Hey, fans have getting a chance to go live in their favorite uh, their favorite setting." You know, and you've got Lord of the Rings fans that are all you know thrilled, and uh, even Doctor Who fans that are all thrilled, and then they get to the Warhammer 40k fans and they're like, "I'm good." <laughs> yeah, and that's the fun. The the hard thing is whenever you get the fandoms like if this Marine versus that Marine, Halo versus Warhammer versus I don't know. Iron Man, and everyone's always throwing these up. And you take Warhammer out of the discussion, and you can have an honest chat about the merits of each and why empirically one might be better than the other. You throw Warhammer, and the rest of it's just like Saturday morning cartoons level because it was I, written to be so over the top. I, I had a friend once describe uh, Warhammer 40K as, uh, you know, the, uh, the, science fiction equivalent of uh yeah well my dad can beat up your dad everything just scales <laughs> and you know, you know, you... yeah <laughs> there's there's just i mean it, it is what it is it didn't and it didn't start that way it, it started trying to be you know gritty and somewhat balanced and then they started creating mythology yeah it's it's really weird man i mean i actually had the original 1987 uh, Rogue Trader book, right? The original for Warhammer 40k first edition, and if it's amazing because like a lot of the younger people that are in it um, have never seen like anything older than say third, fourth, or fifth edition, and it's like, dude, you have no idea. I mean, when you look at like the late 80s, early 90s stuff, uh, it, it's a completely different aesthetic. It's a completely different uh, vibe, if you will, and. It's it didn't take itself all that seriously, but even from the beginning, I mean, Rick Priestley and the other original creators turned around and said, like, it was meant to be a kitchen sink. And given when it came out in 87 and you look at that original book and the artwork and you see H.R. Giger, you know, aliens, all that kind of stuff. You see um, definitely 2000 A.D., which was the big British comics anthology from the late 70s, early 80s. Right. That's where Judge Dredd came from. And they basically filed the serial numbers off of Judge Dredd and stuck and stuck stuff like him in 40k too but it's a kitchen sink it's it's everything it's dune it's it's everything what they could get away with stuffing in there and you know rule of cool sort of applied and then it's like you said Nate it's like at some point they decided to try and have it make sense which might have been you know kind of a fatal error so if you didn't guess uh we are here to talk about Warhammer 40k uh, there is the Warhammer fantasy line, which is its own thing. We'll have to do another episode about that. But um, today we're going to talk about the 40K Space Marine side of things. Um, so first off, if you don't know, it's a universe that includes a tabletop uh, strategy game, but it's also gotten like at this point card games, mobile apps, 
uh, a line of comics, graphic novels, and books. I can't think of a single medium that it's not in, and except for TV. But I think Henry Cavill is working on one. He's working yes, on Henry Cavill is working on a Warhammer 40k TV show through Amazon Prime, I believe. And the game itself is produced by Games Workshop. Uh, and apparently, it is the most popular miniature wargaming to the point where people that play other war games lament that they don't call it wargaming; they call it Warhammer. And they just assume, like, Dungeons & Dragons represents all tabletop for miniature gaming. People know Warhammer, and that's what they say, even if they're playing a different system. So um, we'll start with how you guys each found the Warhammer. Well, I I started about the same time uh, Chris did. I I was playing Rogue Trader on the floor of my friend's basement uh, with these awful lead models uh, with, uh, you know, very little detail. And having to make our own terrain, our own vehicles, and you know, it just progressed from there. And it it was just a game with cool models originally, but within within a few years, they came out with uh, Epic and Adeptus Titanicus. I think it was eighty eight, and that's when I really bought into it. Was was Epic, um, and you know, just. They're the little itty bitty, you know, eight millimeter scale compared to the twenty eight millimeter scale of the of the main game, and uh, just epic battles uh, in the universe of Warhammer forty k. Yeah, I'm with you. It was it was epic, and actually, I it's it's amazing. I had a copy of the main game. I think I picked it up in high school. Right, I'm almost sure at a comic shop. To be honest with you, I was like, whoa, dude, what the heck's this? Um, but it was the epic games, and it was Space Hulk. Uh, like the OG version of that that came out. And even back then, they'd already, you know, were pushing uh, video uh, PC games out for it. So, you know, it, yep. it, it, it hit and it hit big, like really, like pretty fast, you know. But the main game itself, I'll be honest, I've never had the money or the space or uh, the, the hand-eye coordination to, 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 to do minis the way they, they ought to be done. You know, what I'm, you know what I'm saying? So I was always like, okay, I like 40K, but what's the other stuff that I could get into that maybe will not take up an entire floor of the house or drain the bank account too much? You know what I mean? They call it plastic crack for a reason. Well, do you, do you see uh, the the level of silver miniatures by my left ear here? Yeah. Uh, those are all the new Titans, Chris. Titanicus is back and Epic is back. Yeah, I remember seeing and So that. I have an entire cabinet that's partially painted there. I, I so. like that scale of the game, too. I like the bigger, more strategic stuff. Than, but, you know, there's a lot of neat stuff out now. They got, um, you know, tactical RPG games. I mean, that's what Blackstone Fortress is, and that looks really neat. If I was going to get into another one, that's probably the one that I that I would get if the, uh, the budget allowed for it. If you like tactical RPGs, uh, I think it's Cubicle 7 has actually re-released uh, their version of the Dark uh, Fantasy Flight's Dark Heresy RPG. Uh, and uh, they've got both the Warhammer 40K playing the Space Marines as well as playing Acolytes under an Inquisitor. Yeah, the, fan, the Fantasy Flight RPGs it. are really good. Um, the, complex and the new and... video game Rogue Trader by Outflight Games, the same company that does uh, Pathfinder Rise of the Kingmaker, just released a rogue trader using uh, the Fantasy Flight uh, rule set. Kind of the Fantasy Flight rule set, and it's Owl Cat Games, not uh, not what not what you said. 
Yeah, uh, but I, yeah. I, I, I said Outflight Games, not Outcat Games. Yeah. I think like a lot of people, when we heard Fantasy Flight was going to lose the license, we went out and grabbed a few things before they disappeared, one of them being Forbidden Stars and the other one being the, the Horus Heresy big tabletop game. And it was like, that's as, that's as much as I can as I can, as I I can can manage. You know what I'm saying? Whether it's from like a collector's standpoint or a playing standpoint now. But, you know, it's... I've always I've always enjoyed the setting. I mean, there's a lot to it, and one of the things I know we'll hit on is like a lot of the books. When when it's good, it's really good, you know, in terms of the writers that re- really make it pop. And when it's bad, you're just sitting there going, "Well, I guess it's kind of like pizza, you know. Even bad pizza is kind of good to an extent." Uh, no, there 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 are some truly the the first Black Library novels of 40k are among that trilogy um, is among the worst books I've ever read. And I, I read them just because of what they were. Uh, what are they? I've got them over there. Uh, Chaos Child uh, is the third novel in the series. That's all I can see from here. Uh, yeah, it's bad. It's really, really bad. Uh, but you look at Abnett's stuff, his Eisenhorn uh, trilogy, followed by the Ravenor trilogy, and then the fourth Eisenhorn book and the omnibus of short stories, and now his Beckwin trilogy, which seems to be wrapping things up and tying into the end of the Horus Heresy. Uh, it's it's incredible myth crafting in addition to storytelling. Right. And Dan, I think I'm so. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, what were you, what were you saying, Nathan? I didn't want to cut you off. And so Chris and I were there at the beginning with Epic, where the Horus Heresy was first mentioned. It didn't exist in the first few years of the game system. And then it was just sort of a thing that happened. But that mythology is what everything Games Workshop has blown up with Warhammer 40k is based on, is that Horus Heresy. And it, it's that mythology that has, has driven everything. So I actually found about Warhammer, because I didn't know what it was until uh, I accidentally stumbled on Baneblade, the novel. It's a novel about a tanker. Um, it's really good, too. But I found that in a used bookstore for 50 cents, and I was bored, so I said, why not? Um, can't beat it for beat a novel for 50 cents. And then I sort of explored from there. But what about you, Nick? How did you find it? Um, I never really got into it, um, mainly because I had friends that were into it, and they said that it drastically drained their bank account so i was like well i don't think i'm gonna get into this but um yeah i know next to nothing about this subject so i'm sorry guys i'm pretty quiet tonight i'm here to learn so (laughs) it's all good i definitely am not the coordinated enough to do the painting of the minis but you know primer color is good to go i don't have to have it looking pretty i i've played mostly with gray plastic during the years where i actively played the game um it was never important enough to me to to spend the time painting. But when I do paint, uh, I it it I try I tend to paint reasonably well, um, and that that's the nice thing about this about Warhammer 40k as a hobby. We touched on some of it, where we talked about the video games and the books and the tabletop game and the role playing game, and you brought painting in here. But it, it doesn't matter what aspect of a, of hobby you have. Warhammer 40k's got something for you. You can nerd out on the on the background and the lore. You can nerd out on the books, the just the painting. There are people who collect Games Workshop models just to paint them and have never played a game in their life, but they've got tens of thousands of dollars of models and paint in their home. You bring up a really 
really, really great point there that there is, it's one of those, it's brilliant really, because it's one of those all inclusive, uh, all encompassing type hobbies where it's like, if you just want, want, want to do one little piece of it, you knock yourself out. Um, you know, one of the things I like is, and this goes back to our history degree discussion is I like it when the authors that really do know their history, like, and you start reading it, you're trying to figure out, okay, what are they referencing here? Right. Either something like an ancient, you know, whether it was a, a famous military formation, like the, the way that the, what are they, the Morty and Iron Guard is what I think they're called. And they look like 19th century Prussians, like to a T. Yep. Um, or, you know, stuff like that, or you're trying to figure out what they're basing this on, what sort of story are they retelling, you know, is a lot of what I'm looking at, because I, the good authors would 40k like Dan Abnett, they, they, they've got the whole panorama history to, to work with. And, and if you know a little bit more, you know, about it, you can see the tragedy, even you, you know how it's going to end. But you know, that moment of realization, when you're like, aha, oh, crap, they're, this is where they're going with it. And that either really adds to the tragedy of it, you know, I think when 40K is really good, it, it's, it's more tragic than anything else, um, at least in the modern the modern version of it. Um, and, um, I, you know, and, and I, I do think the good authors really capitalize on that. Uh, just, you know, even even like with the, the, story, the Horus Heresy, it's a lot of looking at ancient mythology, you know, Greeks, the Romans, things like that, because... And when, when you start thinking through these things, like, oh, man, I, I think I see where this is going or what they're getting after. And um, it, it can be pretty satisfying. Over. The, the other thing is, I will say, there are some franchises that seem to hate their fans looking at you, Star Trek, and they will go hard after anybody that makes a fan production. Uh, I would say Warhammer is right up there with Star Wars and they realize they're nothing without their fans. And when fans make oh, cool content. No, that, no, no, no. I've games seen lots Workshop. of fan-made stuff. Go ahead, you tell are, me I'm wrong. But Games Workshop has has destroyed the fan-based community. Um, okay. They went so far as a few years ago to basically send cease desists to some of the arguably greatest uh, animations I've seen of the 40K universe uh, and dozens of uh, of fan art, fan art, fan video channels disappeared. Um, Games Workshop is notoriously close with its intellectual property to the point where they sued uh, Robert Heinlein's estate over star over the term Space Marine. You can't. <laughs> it's it's awful. They're they are they are they're IP Nazis on the level with Disney, and I use that term very specifically because they are evil about it. And have hurt the fan community. Um, some of the most popular YouTube channels no longer exist uh, because because of their aggressiveness in at, at various points in time. And to make things worse, they're not always consistent. Um, I kind of ran into that IP thing is last year at Adepticon, which is the largest uh, Warhammer 40k uh, convention in the United States. I was. Uh... I got to videotape the reveal for the next years. And when I was done, Games Workshop wanted the raw video and any files of the stuff that I took. And they were going to be doing the editing and all that. And I had to turn it all over to them when they were done and I had to delete it after I turned it over to them. Oh, hell no. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's... It... Sorry, go ahead. 
No, I was just saying I, that's that's next level. I'm still trying to figure out how you could space and marine are just two words. The words existed before, and even together they existed before Warhammer. How did they? They um, okay. They didn't, they win. didn't win. Yeah, they didn't <laughs> win. But still, the fact that they tried, you know, I mean, tells you something. And they're going after an OG like the Heinlein estate. I just. Yeah, it, it, the shoulders so they it, stood it, on, and then they kicked him in the teeth while they were standing. Yeah, pretty much. If if you look up Astartes, um, which is the Games Workshop current term for Space Marine, because they lost that lawsuit, everything's now in a, all the Space Marines are now known as the Adeptus Astartes, um, and uh, uh, they changed the name of their their uh, space elves from Eldar to Eldari. Uh, all of that because they started losing those trademark lo uh, uh, lawsuits. So um, they they're they're modern. I think since like eighth edition is about the time they started making those name changes, and it really has to do with being able to control everything over their IP. They've changed names of their paints to make sure that they were trademarkable and nobody could claim the colors. It's it's awful. Um, you're almost they're, as bad as Harmony Gold. And Robotech. Uh, they're worse. They're worse. <laughs> yeah. That was just a never-ending lawsuit. That... Yeah, but they they still offer enough of a property that, despite being horrible to their fan base, their fan base is still incredibly loyal. Um, how, how do you see the rise? I'm one of them. Yeah. How do you see the rise of 3D printing and people's ability to do things at home? And with the right machine, you can buy one set of things, scan them, print your own, and you don't have to buy any more from them again. How, how do you think that's going to change so I, the field? I, I'm one of those people who goes online and finds the uh, both the third-party uh, uh, models that are hand-sculpted and, and the ones that others have scanned and print them at home. Um, if you're if you're, uh, uh, you know, wanting to do this your only thing, you can get away with it, but you're just not going to be able to play in any official events. You certainly play with your friends, but there's still stuff out there you can't get. I've got boxes of unassembled official miniatures on a bookshelf to my right here. Um, so I think that the, they're going to be just fine because that seems to be the norm rather than uh, an exception is you've got some people like me have a mix and we're still spending money on games workshop. So what are the official events then? Like if you go just to a game shop and play there, you can't use your made stuff or are there actual like tournaments? Uh, Adepticon has Warhammer worlds. I mean, that is the majority of the major uh, tournaments and stuff happened at Adepticon. There's Titans. There's uh, basically at, Three days straight and nothing but Warhammer 40K. They have the Golden Demon Awards there, which is for painting. Uh, they have the new reveals. It's, I mean, it's basically Warhammer for three days straight at Adepticon. And they're all GDWs there, sanctioned events, all that stuff. They just opened up a Warhammer store in Tallahassee. Uh, down here in uh, in Florida, so they've got those independent. They've got those stores too, which are exclusively, you know, Games Workshop stores uh, selling that stuff out yeah. too. So it's 
it, it's a it's an empire. I mean, no pun intended for the setting. It genuinely is, man. And they can they can enforce it. I mean, the rules that they want to set through the uh, through the gaming tournament uh, rules and all that's that sort of stuff. I mean, on the one hand, I understand wanting to be aggressive about protecting IP, especially when you've got one that's this that's on this level, you know. But there's probably ways to do that that just don't alienate. Well, if the fans keep showing up, I mean, what incentive is there for them to stop? You know, or, or, to, or to change how they handle it. I mean, well, the way they get around it for Star Wars when the people make the stuff is they're not selling Star Wars uniforms. They're selling their labor building the Star Wars uniform. So they find an end run around it that meets the IP. It meets the IP law such that Star Wars and now Disney doesn't lose their, their IP protection. Because if you don't defend it, you lose it. So there, there, are, there is legal precedent that doesn't require them to aggressively crush their fandom cosplay may be the one place where they've never done any any takedowns they they, they have not gone after that if they only go after the things that uh that make them money so the the tournament scene like paul mentioned you've got the the ones that that if you want to play an official games workshop store you have to use all official models or fall within the very narrow definitions of augmenting with third-party printed parts on an original model um, or the big tournaments like Adepticon or uh, the Las Vegas one. I, I can't remember what it's called. And a lot of the larger local tournaments you run into, uh, they have, you know, you have to use Games Workshop official models in order to participate um, just because they want to stay in GW's good graces and be able to, to advertise without without any issues. So... How can you tell the difference between the official Games Workshop ones and the others? There's a very specific uh, look and feel to official Games Workshop stuff. Uh, and uh, it, it, you'll know. Their, 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 current, their current plastic rent model range is insanely detailed. Um, a, a, a Rhino for the, epic scale, the new Epic Scale game, uh, Legions Imperialis, uh, is a half inch tall and a, a maybe an inch long and uh three quarters of an inch wide. And it's got like 30 parts to it. Holy crap. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've got, I've got an example of an assembled one in the case behind me, along with some high end 3d printed ones, a uh, high resolution 3d printed ones. And there, there's an obvious difference between them. Wow. So have you put together any of those models, Chris? Um, let's see. No, no official ones. No, like I said, the games that I got are some of the old fantasy flight games. Um, so I've got, you know, like the that scale and I the old epic ones I, I had I sold off um, a long time ago. You, you know, just because it just it's a lot of stuff to lug around. PCS to PCS. Um, yeah. So I did. I had a couple of Warhammer Fantasy ones. Uh, the old the older ones. I had an army I was building for that, and it just sort of the same thing happened. It was like, nah, man, I can't keep up with this because uh, day job sort of uh, took over. But um, you know, I'm, no, the minis I've got right now, I, I kind of like the Ogre minis a lot, actually. That's kind of where I put some time and effort into lately. But, um, you know, I, mainly it's I, I've been a computer IP uh, player uh, for 40K, doing a war um, or some of the older games, um, especially, too. You know, there's the uh, – so uh, that's – and, uh, you know, they're pretty, at least on the fantasy side, with Total War, that, that, that franchise and all that. So um, that and reading the books. Uh, you know, and it's really the ones that catch my eye because there's just so damn many. Yeah. 
I mean, the, the Horus Heresy series is 54 novels, and I don't think that's including the anthos either. I mean, so 64. Sixty-four. Holy smoke! God bless them. I mean, but still. If you count, if you count uh, the, yeah, if you count the Siege of Terra, which ends with uh, a three-volume book by Dan Abnett called "The End and the Death," uh, it's sixty-four books. That is a lot. So, what about you, Paul? Did you uh, did you ever get into the building and the painting of the minis? Well, I got started with uh, demons before they split them up when it was just chaos. Uh, I had a word bearers army I was building, and I had a witch hunters sisters of battle army. I think it was maybe fifth or sixth edition rules, but I've mainly done PC starting with Dawn of War, all the additional DLC, then going to Dawn of War 2, the DLC, Dawn of War 3, uh, played uh, Dark Heresy. Uh, Rogue Trader and then uh, Black Crusade are where the Fantasy Flight RPGs. Then I moved into the Cubicle Seven ones, and then I've just started playing uh, Rogue Trader on PC. So I'm more of a PC RPG than the actual miniatures side of things. So we're going to break for commercial in just a minute. But before we do, since you guys talked about the electronic versions, I know D&D went hard into the virtual tabletops so people could play online remotely. Does um, Warhammer have anything equivalent to that? No, uh, that's one of the things that they're actively against because they want to sell their tabletop models. They have done zero effort in creating an, an electronic tabletop officially. Cubicle 7, who does the new Warhammer 40k RPG, they do have uh, Foundry, virtual Foundry uh, uh, files for that. You could purchase their stuff to use on, uh, I think it's Virtual Table, Virtual Foundry is the program. Okay. And that's Official right. Games Workshop supported? That's Official Games Workshop supported through Cubicle 7 Games. Okay, we're going to pause for a moment while we shamelessly shill for the man, and then we're going to get right back to discussing all things Warhammer. The Terran Empire is dead. Long live the Empire. Commander Jared Mertz, the bastard son of the Emperor, and his half-sister, Princess Kelsey, barely speak to one another. To their dismay, their father seizes an opportunity to change that and sends them on a dangerous quest to explore the fallen Empire. Separated from home by an impassable gulf and struggling to redefine their relationship, they find themselves thrust into a vicious war. Unless they work together to stop the Empire's deadly legacy, billions face a horrific fate. Empire of Bones, written by Terry Mixon, now available at Amazon.com. All right, thank you for sticking with us through that commercial interlude. Uh, I just realized, Nick, we've been remiss. We got right down to brass tacks, and we forgot to ask Nathan the religion questions. So, Oh, no. Get your finger on the eject button because there is a wrong answer. But are you ready, Nathan? Uh, I am ready. All right, Star Wars, Star Trek, or Firefly? Babylon 5. Oh, go on. Uh, it's, it, is, uh, it is great storytelling. Uh, it's like most good things I appreciate in science fiction. It builds a mythology around it too. Um, hard to beat. 
Okay, that's one I haven't gotten into, but um, it is on my list to revisit. Uh, there was a swath of time where I was too busy with school and life to watch much TV. And this was before the age of like DVR and streaming. So I'm, there's a lot I want to go back to. But uh, all right. Um, now, because we are polytheistic, Game of Thrones, The Wheel of Time, or Chronicles of Narnia? Chronicles of Narnia. It's a good answer. Uh, yeah. I, I, I appreciate it. It's uplifting story. Uh, it's nothing to drag you down in there. Yeah, that's actually one of the things that we're working on getting together from. Uh, we've been talking about doing an episode about uplifting fiction, and I've just heard there's this new thing that they're calling it Noble Bright, which is like the opposite of the grimdark like George R. R. Martin does. So it's definitely something to uh, to look deeper into because, you know, the world's glum enough without adding to it. Right. And that, so. that's what my fiction aspires to be, is that uplifting. I, I, I'm tired of dead, dark, and, and disappointing. And so I believe in heroic endings with good triumphant uh, with next problem up. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, and because we are civilized around these parts, uh, coffee or tea and how do you take it? Uh, pretty much uh, every day it's uh, coffee with, uh, you know, one or two creams, depending on the size of the cup and a little bit of sweetener, usually uh, 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 some form of uh, liquid stevia. Now you say one or two creams, so you actually get the little little couplets that like you get at a restaurant, or you free pour. Uh, each, uh, I I I can eyeball a free pour, but uh, each of those uh, little things you get at a restaurant is uh, one tablespoon, uh, which is fifteen milliliters, uh, give okay. or take. Okay, I do mine probably half and half, which is why I limit myself to one every other day. It's delicious, half coffee, half milk, but not the best for your waistline. If you do it every day or, or multiple I times exactly what you're talking about. Um, yeah, it's just uh, one of these days I'll grow up and I'll drink it black, but not today. Uh, now that we talked about growing up, let's get back to the grown up world of Warhammer 40 K. Uh, we appreciate you sticking with us through the commercial and, uh, and letting us insert that little religion question segment. But have you guys, anybody um, gotten into, I know there's some graphic novels out there. I know Black Library has some listed and some comics. Have you guys gotten into the visual medium storytelling versions? I have. Um, I've got, uh, uh, I think it's a, a Siege of, uh, Siege of Kalf, uh, which is part of the uh, Horus Heresy. There's a graphic novel there. Uh, I collected uh, a limited uh, edition run of comics for Marnius Calgar um, in uh, the modern uh, modern 40K setting, as well as a uh, limited series of Sisters of Battle. Uh, both of those, I think, were Marvel or Image, forget which. Okay. What about you, Chris? Not really. I've seen a few of them, um, but I haven't gone out of my way to collect them or anything like that. I've I've seen a lot of fan comics that are well, mostly comedy. You know what I mean? Mostly parodies that are pretty freaking hilarious. Um, and those I get a good kick out of. And I, I'm pretty sure Nathan knows which ones I'm talking about too. Um, you know, I don't. <laughs> so uh, you know, it's mainly and mainly what a lot of people make like to make fun of is just sort of the the interplay between some of the different factions. I mean, like, first of all, how can you not have fun with the orcs? They're besides being orcs, they're a British 
gang of football hooligans on crank, you know, and there's billions of them. And that's really just the best way to describe. I mean, the way the lore is right now is that through the power of make believe essentially that, you know, they literally believe that if they paint their vehicles red, they go faster. So guess what? They go faster. Uh, you know, that, that, that's, that, that's one of the things, or you got the Adeptus Mechanicus, right. Who is sort of the, um, sort of the, what, one of the two like pseudo churches that, that, that well, in the game universe, legit churches that they've, they've got going in. That's they're kind of just creepy. I mean, and and they like playing that aspect of it, but it can be really funny. I mean, even the space marines can be funny because they're either so doggone earnest about everything they do, or you know, it's all like like Nathan and everybody else has said. It's all so ridiculously over the top that if you know how to have fun with it, you can have a lot of fun with it. Except really, like the dark elves, they're kind of just gross. You know, like somebody watched Hellraiser one time too many. Gross, but there you go. <laughs> That's Nick's love language. Yeah, we just yeah, watched two today. <laughs> well, yeah, the, he told me. <laughs> yeah, the 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 factions are all there. There's there's jokes you can run run around with all of them. And again, that that's part of what makes this hobby amazing is, uh, you know, we can we can we can have fun with it. We can pick a side. We can you know cheer for one team and root against another team. And we're all we're all playing the same game. We're all enjoying the same the same setting, the same fiction. Um, so, are the factions uh, essentially interchangeable, or do they come with like different perks and trade offs? There's no there's no interchangeability among the factions, even among uh, the uh, Space Marines, the Adeptus Astartes. Uh, things are drastically different, even though they theoretically have the same equipment and the the same uh, the same genetics and and uh, uh, pseudoscience uh, you know upgrades to make them super soldiers. Um, it's 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 incredible the amount of variation they've worked in to to everything, uh, and that's another thing that makes the hobby great is you can pick a faction and pick something you prefer over something else and run with it. There's a there's a doctor who is um i think he's a bone doctor on youtube but he goes and he looks at the medical viability of all the different like super marines so he like he looked at halo he looked at the warhammer uh space marines uh although he didn't call them the astarte stuff so i'm, I'm I think he was speaking more generically, but they start looking at what would be involved in making it possible and how close we are to being able to do that already uh, and what it comes down to in all the cases, both with with the Warhammer and Halo, is uh, medical ethics get in the way. <laughs> yeah, but I, I do want to point out that it took him three episodes to go through what a normal Space Marine goes through, and then another episode for the Primaris Space Marines. Oh, you watched it too? Yeah, I've watched all of them. Yeah. They're good. <laughs> yeah, it's it it's you're talking you're talking about a doctor spending you know an hour and a half of of, of YouTube time to tell you about one aspect of this massive science fiction universe. It took four episodes for Warhammer and one for, for Halo to do the yeah. Space Marine. Yeah, I like watching his videos too, just because he also goes into the anatomy and the more deeper aspects of how things work. Um, his name is Dr. Chris Rayner. Thank you, um, Paul, for remembering, because I didn't. I shared it years ago in the Galaxy's Edge fan club. Uh, and just it stuck in my head. I will link to his YouTube channel, dear listener, in the show notes, uh, and you can check it out too. He's got a lot of good stuff. It's more than just 
um, more than just the Warhammer stuff. He goes into a lot of different movies and basically he takes pop culture and looks at it medically to uh, to see what's viable. And it's just kind of cool to, to, to see even doctors get nerdy with the same kind of stuff you love. Well, you know something too. A couple of years, like there's Nathan. You probably remember this too. There is a former um, Games Workshop guy, Phil Sebring, or something like that, and he does his own sort of take on you know what what these things might actually be and look like, or what technology might actually get there in real life. And so he's kind of redesigned everything from the Space Marines to some of the classic you know, technology of, of 40 K to say, you know, to kind of look at, Hey, what trends or real life things are there that could actually get us there from a technological standpoint. I, and the way that he kind of relooked at the Marines was you're looking at somebody essentially built around almost like a silverback gorilla. I mean, the proportions and everything for, for what the Marines are, it's really, really kind of interesting because it's like, yeah, the possibilities are potentially out there ethics and everything else aside, but it's a really fascinating thing to do. It's not all completely far-fetched. That's that's what's amazing about it. Yeah, that's the one thing. If there's a, a couple of uh, – PBS has a channel that does that with the tech side of things, and that's surprising how close to even some of the stuff in the sci-fi that we're already close to. And uh, and basically it's it's batteries that hold us back for most of it. It's the ability to store the energy. Yeah, energy density is an, an interesting problem that uh, gets hand-waved with the 40K universe. Uh, you know, but I mean, just the, the physics of that, that universe are just uh, unreal in pretty much every single way. Uh, and so don't, don't look at this as hard science fiction. This is science fantasy. Uh, you know, uh, that if you try and think too hard, your brain will break. When I read the Bane the Blade, will come get you. <laughs> when I read Bane Blade, I kept trying to figure out how the logistics for all that would work to, because I know what it ca- takes to keep certain vehicles in the field. Um, and I'm just looking at them like, okay, I got to stop thinking too hard. And then I just read it, <laughs> and then it was good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it, it that that explanation's all behind the scenes in the deep lore. Uh, the 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 Imperial Guard lands with literally millions of troopers, uh, and you know, drop ships the size of skyscrapers filled with uh, supplies. Uh, and then, you know, there's transport vehicles that are, they used to have models for through their Forge World line. Oh, okay. Did you have to factor that into the tabletop playing? Nope. Tabletop's a bunch of D6s and rule of cool. I remember, so at one point in time, um, one of my son was was struggling with school. We we were just looking for things to go together, and so I spent a lot more money than I should have buying the Warhammer set. And then right after you buy it, of course, because he's a kid, he's no longer interested. Uh, so I tried to put it together, and man, that takes a lot of just to get the glue in there right. To, I ended up giving it to a friend, but I, I saw like there were rulers and everything to figure out like arc of trajectory and how far you can move, and there's a lot more math than I thought it would be. Yeah. Uh, it- I've I've got I've got some opinions about the the rule set, uh, the fact that it's just a bunch of d sixes and the number of dice you have to roll to meaningfully change odds, uh, is is uh, it's not a well designed tabletop strategy game, uh, but it's still fun to play. Do you think they'll ever upgrade it? I mean, there's so many more dice options than just a d six. 
So they're they're tabletop role playing games, like uh, what Paul was mentioning. They do change it up to add in that level of granularity, and at least with their Adeptus Titanicus uh, remake, they've introduced a D10 for some roles. But uh, for the most part, uh, they make a lot of money selling sided dice, and why change? I mean, it's it's sort of like a, a beer and pretzels game amped up. You know, ultimately, that's uh, they 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 were the, the suck the way to get people in. I think is because they can attract casual players uh, just because of that simplicity. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's like you said, Jr. There's there's math involved, but I think that's one way that they've got that built-in fan base uh, growth and player growth. And because it's like literally you can have people who just started playing last year and don't have the whole um, baggage, if you will, that like Nathan and myself and a couple other people have who've been who've been around for a hot minute and have uh, either played it before, uh, earlier versions of it or did it some other aspect of the hobby. And, you know, that there's no you can do the big archive deep dive if you want, but you could, you're just as capable of picking it up and playing and not reading anything older than the last five years. And you still, and you can still be good to go in terms of a hobby, you know, do you're you have just to... very unequipped for online arguing. Maybe that's, that's the only drawback. <laughs> so do you have to buy the special games workshop dice or just any six sided dice are going to be good? Any six sided dice will do, uh, but games workshop uh, likes to sell both, uh, uh heraldry uh or game appropriate uh uh dice so you might have uh the dark angels chapter of the space marines the six on their die is uh the the sword and wings of that chapter and so you've got people buying the dice for that reason and they also sell big bricks of dice because they know you need to roll a lot so it's a profit center for them and i just remembered second edition 40k actually did use dice other than d6s to resolve number of wounds and i think first edition had some locations where you were rolling other dice when you were dealing with vehicle to hit charts uh the game's gone through a lot of iterations and but that that simplified down from many dice to just d6 for all mechanics but they've always been d6 for the core the core attack and defend dice okay so how you go to some like hobby stores where they're playing various tabletop, not just Warhammer, or they're you know doing the RPG like a D and D type thing. Sometimes you feel like you're entering a different world, and the gatekeeping is if you don't know, they don't really want you, so it makes it difficult for new players. Uh, do you see that with the Warhammer thing, um, or are they pretty welcoming to new people coming in? I guess that depends on the store you go to. I know at the Game Room, which is the local store by me. Everybody's very welcoming. If you come in and say, hey, I've heard about this Warhammer 40K stuff, but I don't know how to play, someone will gladly sit down and show you how to play, show you what the models you need, and so on. And, and the Games Workshop stores, like Chris mentioned, and that open in Fort Lauderdale, exist explicitly to bring new players into the game. They, they don't do a whole lot with, with uh, veteran players showing up to play you know, cutthroat tournaments and they, they have all sorts of escalation leagues where, you know, you're, you buy into the league and basically your army gets bigger. So they're encouraging you to buy and get into more complicated rules as you go um, and paint as you go, because they want you to play with painted armies. 
Uh, so it's it, it's very beginner friendly um, in many ways uh, because there's so many ambassadors, including the official ambassadors. You know, it's funny because it reminds me of like it's similar, I guess, in a lot of ways to BattleTech uh, from that aspect, and that there's that kind of a similar kind of growth thing. Now, I think similar problems too. You know, especially with what's been going on uh, with the current IP holder, but you know, at least it. And, and Nathan, you might disagree with me on that too. It's just that I see some, some kind of a similar business pattern between the, the folks who behind BattleTech, whether it was FASA or the current Catalyst uh, games, you know, and the way G- GW tends to work. I, it, I, it, it, BattleTech is both more and less complicated, and I'm, I'm at least as deep in in uh, in the the mechanics of the BattleTech universe as I am in in the 40k universe. Um, I'm literally sitting in a room with models from both franchises uh, in the dozens and game books. Um, yeah, um, I, 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 this is a 40K podcast. Uh, it's it both are be, for the purpose of this conversation. I guess both of them are very friendly from an ambassador and gateway perspective. Battletech probably more so because the cost of entry is tiny. Uh, Games Workshop, you are looking at probably a thousand dollars at current model prices to have a competitive two thousand point army. Holy crap! Did you just say what I think you just said? I I did. That's like a I month did. of my mortgage. <laughs> uh, you're not wrong. Uh, I I spent uh, one hundred and sixty dollars on what is that? One, two, three, four boxes of models at Games Workshop yesterday. And that's for the Epic game. And that's only part of what I need to field a tabletop force. Battletech, no. four models, you've got a complete lance. And $30 worth of rule book, $40 worth of rule book, and you've got all the rules to play the game. Um, it's a minimum $60 for the Epic look, I think. Um, I think that's what the current, the current uh, price is on it. And that's just enough to get you through the current iteration with the current release of models. They're planning expansion with more models that is going to require you to purchase another rule book. Um, and Battletech's got everything online. War- Games Workshop charges subscriptions for their online stuff. Nick, you had a question? Yeah, I'm thinking of it. Hold on. <laughs> All right. Well, why you, why you do that? No, uh, no I mean, you're, you're, we talk, we've been talking about these models for the tabletop games. Like, so what's the deal with the terrain? Do you got to build that yourself? Do they sell the terrain to you? Um, how does that, they, they have, uh, they have some terrain they, they sell, uh, and they push pretty hard. It's priced about the same as the models as in it's exorbitant. Um, there's a lot of people that have started to 3d print terrain because it's faster, easier, and cheaper, especially on your FDM printers. Um, and you, un- unlike the, the models themselves, Games Workshop doesn't care what terrain you use. But you can also make, make hills out of uh, uh, the, the pink insulation foam and uh, some, some static grass and some glue. And, you know, build yourself a, a tabletop that way. But there's an industry I, around I, tabletop terrain I, for it. I got good at building terrain uh, growing, you know, growing up and going to California schools because they want you to do the uh, Spanish missions you know, assignment, uh, I think it's like around sixth grade. So you get really good at like building terrain, you know, or building like models and stuff like that. So 
Um, yeah, you can get as complicated as model railroading and build very specific, uh, you know, towns and cities and hills and and that sort of thing. Or you can just throw a few uh, old uh, boxes and some soda cans, uh, you know, on the on the tabletop and play with that. Works for me. You just need to block simple. line of sight. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I know when I first started getting into tabletop role playing started with D&D and then went to other systems. I noticed one of the biggest barriers to entry was the rule books were written, assuming you already knew what you were doing. And so if you didn't know what you were doing, you were kind of foundering, which is in my case, I just found people who had already played and then they explained the un, unspoken, unwritten stuff. And I was good to go. Do you see that with the rule books for Warhammer? For the RPGs, the, I cannot speak to the the new ones that Paul was mentioning. The fantasy flight ones, uh, they are the higher end of complexity uh, for role playing games. Um, but the the strategy game on the tabletop, the actual rules to play with are at, for tenth edition, tenth edition, whatever they're on right now, I forget. Um, is basically uh, unit cards that describe your your unit abilities. Uh, and what what they can do, and then probably twenty or thirty pages of rules. Everything else is 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 fluff. These massive rule books Jesus are filled Christ. nothing but universe universe background. That's not too bad. Are the rules simply written? Like you could, you know, your average high school kid that wants to get into it could pick it up and figure it out. Yep, and they'll find a rules lawyer that'll tell them they were doing it wrong too. But uh, uh, yeah, it doesn't matter in any game. You're always going to find that one guy. Well, actually, uh, it's not that one guy. <laughs> yeah, the tournament the table, scene's man. full of them. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I, I can see that. I mean, there's a, the, I got out of playing it because there weren't enough people to justify the hourly cost of playing a game uh, in terms of the models you had to buy and the rule books. Um, and I just wasn't... I, my, my 40K model spent five years sitting in boxes in my garage before I sold them off. I mean, everybody has their hobbies and their passions. I don't knock it. You know, it's just, I can tell right away that, like, I've heard about the lore. I've heard of, you know, Henry Cavill's a big fan. He's the king of the nerds. But I just, I can guarantee this is not a game for me. I don't have the patience. I think, I'd, I, think I would lose my shit. <laughs> but you don't have to play the game. You can play the video games. You can play the role-playing games. You can read the fiction. I'll play, I'll play video games all day long. That's That's my passion. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, it, again, this part. hobby, this hobby's for everyone. So yeah, it seems you... very multifaceted, you know. For it's got a little uh, sectioned off bit for everybody, and like uh, how you want to play, I guess would be the best way to put it. You know, how do you want to play this game? How do you want to get involved in this? And it seems like they have listening to everybody talk that they have a section for just about everybody. You know. Yeah, and, so, and I mean that with with. Today, YouTube, you, you can know nothing about anything and go watch a bunch of YouTube in YouTube channels related to 40K and be entertained. Uh, it, it's, it's incredible what's out there right now. And, you and know, games, zero investment. Yeah, and Games Workshop gave itself a real smart uh, out for anything because I think they, their official position is everything is canon, but not everything is true or accurate. You know, that's sort of built into the setting from the get-go, even from the beginning, that what you're reading may be a corrupted record, a falsified record, 
or something else along those lines. And, you know, and that, that gives them an easy out to retcon the hell out of it, which they've done over and over and, and over well, again, because they can just turn around and say, is, oh, yeah, well, guess what? That wasn't true. And this might not be true either, you know, but it's still canon. You, you run into the, the point of view problem where you're seeing something from somebody's point of view. You run into occasionally the unreliable narrator. Uh, and then you run into the fact that there's been 10,000 years since the actual event in some cases. And Chris, uh, uh, the end and the death I mentioned uh, covers the fight between Horus and the Emperor and the death of Sanguinius. Uh, for those of you who don't know the Warhammer 40k universe, that that's core to the Horus heresy mythology. And it's not what you think it was, what you believed for since 1988, Chris, is not true in the oh, way you I... think it is. It's still true, but it's not, things didn't get, did not go down the way we all thought and discussed until a couple weeks ago. Oh, I'm not surprised. I mean, I think everybody kind of suspected sooner or later they were going to do something like that, right? Pull the rug out from under it. Because it's been so long, right? I mean, it's 40,000 years in the future to begin with. Um, and they've, you know, po posted different versions of the Emperor's origin story, you know, every couple of editions of the, of the game to kind of keep people interested. I mean, you go back in the, uh, the original, it was ambiguous even if he was even remotely still alive or not, or if any of this um, mythology was true. And even Rick Priestley, like in interviews with him, it's really interesting to hear what his original thoughts on there was, was how much of it's true and how much of it's not. He said the entire period could be built on a uh, on, on just raw superstition that anybody can't uh, prove. I mean, one, one thing that uh, he, you know, it's interesting too, is that at least the early authors of it kind of discount is the whole idea that it's one giant work of satire. Like the word of God from the or at least original creators is it's it's not, you know, it was very much a rule of cool kind of thing with some pretty core ideas out there. But it's like, no, this orc war boss is not a stand in for Margaret Thatcher, like the way some people like to, to make arguments and stuff about. It's like, yeah, go back and read some of the some of the other source documents that they do or sources, the inspirations that they do mention. It's kind of like your picture of D&D &D will change if you actually read the books listed in Appendix N versus what you, you, you think the game is if you'll, if you'll forgive a little rant there rant away sir that's what we're here for that's part of the fun you've been kind of quiet paul so you know join the conversation you gotta unmute oh. them yeah i know they know way more than i do and so i'm letting them talk and listen as i said most of my stuff is the rpgs and the computer games and uh, if it's this is a battle, I know a lot about them because they've always been my favorite factions just because I like to call them nuns with guns. Huh. Yeah, that 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 which, faction, which is they basically are they're also called the brides guns. of the emperor. So tell us about the the gaming um, electronically and the tabletop then what you were talking about your experience because they didn't cover much of that. Uh, I first started with. Uh, Dark Heresy, which was the Fantasy Flight RPG where you played a Acolyte team under an Inquisitor, where you would actually go in and hunt out the heretic, hunt out the demons, hunt out the Xenos, and then you would call your, the Black Crusade or your spa you, Space Marine characters in to actually handle the big stuff. And then you got the various, like, uh, Warhammer, uh, Dawn of War, 
which is a more of a real-time strategy StarCraft-esque style game. And they had like the various different factions. You could have Inquisition, Sisters of Battle, Soulstorm. You played Necrons, which were undead robots. Uh, then some of the others. Then you had Dawn of War 2, its DLCs, and then Dawn of War 3 kind of dropped off in uh, quality, I think. Graphics were better, but the gameplay wasn't that enjoyable. And then you've got like uh, Warhammer 40k Inquisition Martyr, which is uh, first person first person shooter almost. Uh, you had yep. Space Marine Ultramarine, which for uh, is another first person shooter where you actually play an Ultramarine. And then the new RPGs that have came out with Cubicle Seven. Yeah. So the right now, uh, in if you were to go on Steam, and you wanted to play a first-person shooter. Uh, there's Deathwing, and there is um, uh, there's a, another one I can't remember because it's it Space Marine. No, 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 no. This is. Uh, Hold on a second. It's in my library. Give me one second to pull it up. Come on, Steam. Um, but basically, they've got a first-person shooter. They've got a real-time strategy game. They have a turn-based uh, XCOM-style game. They have a uh, uh, a, uh, a Diablo-style three-quarter view, which I think is Inquisitor Martyr. They have a, a another kind of tactics game, um, which is really kind of unique, uh, which is their Mechanicum uh, game. It's it, If you want to play a style of game, there's, there's AAA-level titles out there of that kind of game, and then there's mobile games. And I, I think um, Tacitus, Warhammer 40k Tacitus, Tacticus or Tacitus is one of the more complex and enjoyable mobile games, and it's a strategy game that's out there right now. So if you want to play Warhammer on your phone, you can do that. Um, and uh, as Paul mentioned, uh, Space Marine, which was a late 90s, early 2000s, um, really innovative, good storyline, uh, Doom-style game. Uh, they're about to come out with uh, Space Marine 2, uh, which is a AAA studio, uh, you know, uh, again, Doom-style game uh, that's that's coming out. Um, it's it's all absolutely incredible and 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 high end, but there are, there's also some stinkers throughout the the history of of 40k. Um, but I, I realized something uh, as I was talking. We didn't actually talk about what the Warhammer 40k universe is. We just jumped straight into what it, how we got into it. Okay, so what is it? Well, since I think second edition or third edition of the tabletop game, uh, the the rule books have started with "In the grim darkness of the far future, there is only war." It is a an unsettling, sometimes dystopian future where the good guys aren't really all that good. And every race, every uh, faction is on the brink of extinction. And they're all fighting each other to triumph or to not die, depending on which writer and which uh, which thing you're doing. 
So it's it's uh, it it really the term grimdark that you may have come across has its origins in that phrase. It's it's it it's invaded pop culture. Okay, I see that's really there. Yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Is is you're stuck between bad and worse, and you know what I mean. And and it, what it all comes down to is whether or not like the the default side, you know, of humanity may be right that the only way that they can win is basically winner take all and complete extension of all their enemies because the alternative, you know, is is that bad or is is as bad or worse. You know, I mean there's there's a lot into it that I, I think, you know, from a lot of British sci fi and fantasy, you know, from everything from really dark stuff from the nineteen twenties, like William Hope Hodgson, all the way through the New Wave and Michael Moorcock, especially with Chaos and Order kind of being uh, at odds um, that that's sort of fed all the way into it. So it's very much a product of its original time in a lot of ways. And it's just changed over the years. Um, you know, they, they, again, they started taking themselves a lot more seriously, but there's a lot of deep, deep roots in this, in, in this thing. And I think sometimes what does get lost is it is very British in a lot of ways too. And that's, that's something that, you know, you can either take with a grain of salt or, you know, some things in there just might go completely over your head while it matters more to someone who gets what the inside joke is. You know what I mean? Okay. So we are at the hour mark and we could go on for hours more uh, just skimming the surface of the deep lake of the Warhammer. Um, If you want more episodes, dear listener, uh, and you want us to narrow it down, send us ideas and we'll be happy to have these guests back and we can do another episode. But in the meantime, before we let you go, I have to say, if you could live in the Warhammer world, obviously most of the um, the people making the satire answer no. But if you could live there and be a space marine, would you? I, I think the 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 twenty year old me love would love the idea of being a super soldier fighting on the side of right. The the present day me looks at. Uh, uh what the universe is and what the what that would entail and recoils in horror <laughs> um, what about you no knowing what i know of war and conflict and all that i wouldn't want to go anywhere near that universe to live in okay chris i'm gonna guess that you're gonna go there and pray for them all and save them Fun to play in, fun to uh, read about and think about, honestly. And yes, I could do an entire episode with me and a few other Catholic writers, so we could probably pick it apart uh, from a <laughs> theological standpoint. I've got, you know, I, one of these days I'm going to follow through on my threat and write the article about how the Emperor is both an example of Nietzsche and Superman and Antichrist. <laughs> Antichrist. But, and, and, and Antichrist. Okay. So you don't want to go a, as a Protestant, I'd be interested in, to be involved in that discussion uh, that that uh, that uh, whatever there, Chris. Uh, that sounds interesting. It's sorry, unique. We'd be happy to host it if you want to make it a discussion on air, Chris. So uh, knowing what you've just learned, Nick, are you moving? Well, I'm checking out the games right now because uh, Paul sent some links. So I got to dust off my Steam account. So the wife's gonna be mad because I'm gonna spend money on these games because they look cool. But uh, 
Some of the best ones on Gog. Good old, great old games for really dirt cheap, man. Uh, the ones that okay. are really good ones from the nineties. Like I just pointed one out, there's one called Final, the link I dropped in the chat. You scroll through that, that can actually give you some good point outs. And right well, now, one, one thing I learned today was I had no idea how old these games were, like how much longevity they've had. So that it's obviously they, they're touching the right people because it's, it's had some, you know, it keeps going. Um, but if I would live in that world, ooh, you know, like 20 year old me that, you know, couldn't figure, you know, once you got the taste of, you know, action, adventure, and violence, you're like, oh, man, I don't think I can see myself living in a world where I'm not wearing body armor and people aren't chucking hand grenades at me. But now that I'm in my mid-40s, hell no. I'll watch it on <laughs> TV where I'm comfortable and warm and it's not raining on me and I, you know, the food's good. <laughs> Embrace the suck, Nick. Embrace the suck. I will no, say that. Embracing the suck. Those days are over for old Ranger Nick. Uh, right now, I'm in, I'm embracing the comfort. You know, I, as I, I wither away and hopefully die of old age. <laughs> don't forget to throw your juice box at the nurse so you can go to Valhalla. Um, yeah, looking like back at just the stuff we did in Iraq, and I wouldn't do that now at 42. What I did at 22, so I can't imagine living in the grim dark future with with, with all the novels I've read and what it was like. Um, so here's one more question for the road. Uh, and since we are all here creators, if you were given the opportunity, would you write in this world? I've talked to a couple people that have, and they've written in Star Wars, Star Trek, and a few other IPs I can't even remember. I know the guy had written in 12 official IPs, and he said writing in Warhammer was the worst one because they nitpicked everything. Um, but would you, if you had the chance, would you dive in? I've thought about it a couple of times because Black Library sometimes does open call contests. In fact, um, I helped a mutual friend of ours uh, re-edit the story that he was originally going to use for that into something a little bit more close to the near future. And that ended up getting published recently. So at least I, you know, th there was a damn good story in there. Um, I, I know the story and the person. <laughs> yeah, which was fun helping out with that one. Um, I'll say this. I've thought about it before. I even kicked, I even started one out uh, once upon a time and it was going to be, I couldn't, I couldn't figure out a way to not do something derivative, I guess. And, you know, I was trying to like Nathan brought up before the whole POV problem. I was having a really hard time figuring out, well, what's what POV would you actually write? want to write this from that I could feel like made sense and, and, and worked for me. I mean, that, that's not a no, never. It's a, I haven't figured out yet how, how I do it. Okay. What about you, Nathan? Um, I have thought about it long and hard. As Chris mentioned, there's open there's open contests for the Black Library on a pretty frequent basis. Uh, I think at least annually. But it, it comes down to I don't want to write a story that has an ambiguous ending or where there's no clear victory for the good guys and the universe doesn't have that as as something they want in their sick. It all has to be a tragedy of some kind. It has to be grimdark. And that's just not where I want to be. It's not, that's not the message the legacy I want to leave behind. Deep, but fair. I like it. All right. What about you, Paul? Nope. I helped a friend who was approached about writing a uh, story for an Age of Sigmar anthology. And she was bouncing ideas off of me. And some of the stuff that she told me that Games Workshop required of her and the IP 
I'm like, nah, I don't even want to touch it. Okay. I don't know, Nick, if they called you, would you draw it? Uh, if the price is right, I'll draw just about anything. <laughs> the um, I'm a mercenary, man. The art, oh, their art they have for their covers, for their website, it is glorious. They they hire some damn good artists. While, while you guys were talking, because like I had, I had time, because I know nothing of the subject, like I said, um, I did look up the comic books, and the artwork is spectacular. I thought it's so, too. Be- it's beautifully done. Line work's awesome. The coloring's awesome. You know, they got some top-notch talent in there. I guess it was done by Marvel. Um, yeah. And they've been hit or miss the last decade or so. But I I really enjoyed the artwork. So next time I go out to the my local comic book shop, I'm going to probably try and pull some issues, see what, I, see what I can find. Now, when you say Marvel's been hit or miss, do you mean the art has been hit or miss or the plots have been hit or miss? Because those are two separate oh, things. Oh, it's, it's both. Sometimes it's a, a glorious shit show of just – incompetence um i've seen writer you know i writers that just don't understand their source material they don't know the lore they don't know the history and they start making up really weird stuff that the fans scream and and yell about you know and and they should because these characters are beloved you know so and and the artwork it's it's definitely been hit or miss and a lot of times they're getting guys on the cheap or they're getting guys because of their certain affiliations you know, and the artwork just suffers so and then they they always go with the age-old uh well that's just my style no your your style sucks <laughs> get better <laughs> so i've learned i've written a couple people's um ip some of them decent sized sales wise and one thing i and some of them under pen names uh, or ghostwriting. And one thing I learned is if you want to write a good story in someone else's eyepiece, so you're playing in their sandbox, you really have to like their sandbox or at yeah. least be knowledgeable enough to fake it. Because if you're not passionate about it, you get the shit show you see on, you know, modern television remakes of all of the classics where it's like, did you even read the original stuff? Did you hate it? Are you like mocking all of us who loved it? Um, and so since I wouldn't want that done to what I love, I would not want to shit over on someone else's, you know, I wouldn't yuck someone else's young by young by giving them crap because I didn't know the not the stuff well enough. Um, so I, I would pass too, probably. But I, I prefer the good guys to be good, the bad guys to be bad. And in the end, even if you die, you die, you know, trying to do the right thing, right? Like I'm okay with some darkness. The world can be dark, but you just want it to matter in the end. Right. So I, I would probably pass. All right. Well, this is the part where I remind you, dear listener, dear viewer, readers of all stripes and sizes, to please be kind and speak your mind on the reviewing platforms. Your reviews help the right books find the right be- readers. And it matters even if you buy outside of the Amazon ecosphere. Almost every website that will sell you books has a way where you can review it there. So please be kind to the authors and do that. With that being said, uh, we're going to go in uh, Brady Bunch order. Paul, what are you writing right now? I am uh, re-editing my short story for the Embers of Corsari anthology, and then I'm going to be jumping right into the Weird War uh, short story open call for Racking Tower Press. What is Weird War? I'm not familiar with that genre. Uh, think Deadlands. Uh, Jonah Hex, 
the movie Cowboys and Aliens. Oh, okay. Definitely on the weird. Stuff like that. And uh, I'm actually... Call of Cthulhu 1860 could would be considered Weird West. Okay. I understand the old ones. I get it. I was there in the beginning. All right. What about you, Nathan? What are you writing? I uh, got to do my uh, final uh, review of the editor's edits uh, for my uh, short story, Welcome to Detroit, which is coming out in April in the Paladins of Valor anthology from New Mythology Press. And I am working as I can on uh, my science fiction novel, Night Unbroken, which, as I mentioned, is a retelling of uh, at least part of the life of William Marshall uh, in a science fiction context. It can be done even to great scale. If you look at Christopher Rocchio with his Sun Eater series, he took those same kind of epic themes and he made it work. Yeah, I, 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 I don't have Christopher's uh, gift with uh, wordplay and nor do I have his love of the written word to produce something on the scale he did. That That's truly epic stuff he put out. Um, I'm, I'm going more for a, uh, uh, geez, I'd, I'd like to say David Drake, but I'm not that good either. Uh, but more of a character-driven, action-driven uh, uh, story as opposed to a, an introspective uh, epic where somebody does heroic things. Okay. Good answer. Chris, what are you writing? Uh, right now, mostly uh, job applications and working on my <laughs> paperwork, uh, but because uh, it's it's about that time to retire. But a um, uh, couple reviews for Upstream that I've got in the works um, that I'm hoping to get out in the next few weeks and uh, then try to get back to some short story writing. And uh, there's a long delayed, and you're aware it is, JR novel that I, I really need to get on. Um, but you know, it's um, I'm trying to be really be pick and choosy right now. Um, so the, for that for that sense, my you know, um, my wife Jamie Dinot, who writes uh, as Liska McCabe, she's got a a couple more things out. And if you go to the uh, the, the author um, page on Facebook, you, you can see a link to her, and you can find her stuff on uh, Amazon as well. I think she's a little bit more prolific than I am right now. Yeah, the Air Force kind of keeps you a little bit busy, just a little bit. Um, although, you know, when I asked, I was thinking fiction, but I guess for some people, their resumes are filled with fiction. I would like to think your, yours is probably more honest. <laughs> uh, ask me again in a couple of weeks and I'll let you know. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, and since this is the first time we've talked about this since, since you started recovering from the stroke, Nick, uh, have, has this set you back on your, your plans for 2024 with your comics? Um, are you still going to uh, meet your deadlines? No, because I got other artists working on stuff. So really, my job now is to like review, read, and approve things. So like project so, management. I mean, it, yeah, it's I, I'm doing more the the you know company president thing. Um, but I would, even though 2024 started off really sucky, um, I'm thinking probably by June. That's when they're kind of anticipating where I should be close to what I was. That's not too um, I bad. Be able to, yeah, you know, six months. That's not too bad. Um, I'll get back on the drawing horse and, and start knocking out some comics because I do, surprisingly enough, I have fans that want to see me produce new artwork. So <laughs> can't let them down. It's like three dudes, and I think they live in Nebraska, but they really like my stuff. So <laughs> <let them> down. 
Nice, nice. All right. And uh, I am working on way too many projects to name because we are at the hour and a half mark now. So instead, uh, I'm going to ask you, Paul, where can listeners and viewers at home find you on the Wild Wild Interwebs? As usual, links will be in the show notes. Uh, Twitter, Facebook, and Amazon. All right. Uh, so you look for Paul in those places. We'll link in the show notes. You can find him there. Um, what about you, Nathan? How can they find you on the Wild Wild Interwebs? Where are you most active? Uh, I am uh, most active uh, on Facebook, but really not as active as I need to be on anything. Uh, I've got a website that also kicks a blog out at NathanBalliot.com. Uh, and I will occasionally venture into Twitter uh, to post updates. Twitter is a scary and dark place, but um, if you're brave enough, we will link to it. All right. And last, but certainly not least, Chris, what, um, how can listeners and readers and viewers find you? On Facebook, there's a uh, page called Chris and Jamie Denote Authors, um, and that's got um, – Links are the covers for every work that she and I have both been in. So we've been in some of the same. She also writes under the pen name Lishka McCabe. Uh, like I mentioned, um, I'm, I have an Amazon author page where you can find uh, find the, the books that I've been in uh, so far as well. And like um, I think I'll have it in the show notes. I have an Instagram account that I really don't do too much with. Um, but, you know, so, uh, that's 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 where we're at. Hopefully get some more stuff out here in this uh, this calendar year. And uh, everything, um, Nick and I were very blunt that uh, our, our knowledge on this topic was limited. We were relying on our guests and their passion for their hobby. Uh, so everywhere that we referenced that we got the, enough knowledge to ask the right questions, we linked in the show notes. So the Wikipedia page, the actual Warhammer page, the Bell of Lost Souls and the Lexa Canum that Nathan had us uh, use as reference, we linked to all of that. So you can link to if you're new and it should get you started. And if you have more questions... The, the guests would, wouldn't mind probably if you sent them messages and bought their books while you're at it. And uh, with that, you can find us on our link tree at L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E, link tree slash Blasters and Blades podcast. Again, link tree slash Blasters and Blades podcast, where we link to all the things, the bit shoots, the rumbles, the YouTubes, the Twitters, our email, where for professional purposes only, Blasters and Blades podcast at gmail.com. We have a Facebook page and a Facebook group. If you were already subscribed to the old one, we lost um, lost it. I don't know. Facebook's weird. So we made a new one. It's linked in the link tree. Go ahead and click it. Follow. We post all of our episodes, updates there. Um, join the Facebook fan club. We hang out. We get nerdy. We share the episodes. Uh, most of the time, our guests will come in. If you're asking questions directly to them, I will bug them until they answer you there. Um, and more importantly, you can find Madam Stabby Stabs, Instagram, Twitter, and email, where you can send all the hate mail. She loves it. She'll make you cry. It's uh, You pay extra for that, though. Um, and finally, you can find us on our website, anchor.fm slash blasters, tech and tech blades. Again, anchor.fm slash blasters, tech and tech blades, where for as little as 99 cents a month, you can help keep the lights on. These episodes are not free to produce, and we appreciate your patronage. Patronage? Yeah, I speak. Um, so that every little bit helps. Um, speaking of websites, Nick is working diligently on the uh, merch page. He has it set up. Uh, unfortunately, health scares set him back a little bit on designing the merch because kind of has to be able to draw to make the art to put on the stuff that we can sell you. But it has not been forgotten and it will happen in 2024. We promise you. Um, 30 minutes or less or delivery is free or something. Isn't that what they used to tell us? <laughs> um, 
uh, jokes, please don't hold us to that. That's not that's not a legal contract, people. Uh, and you can support the show more directly at buymeacoffee.com slash author J.R. Hanley. Again, buymeacoffee.com slash author J.R. Hanley. Be sure to put in the comment section that it's for the podcast. And I promise I will keep my co-hosts duly caffeinated. They will drink until they float away on a river of coffee. Um, speaking of coffee, if you like good coffee made in America and you want to support the show, Coffee Brand Coffee has delicious coffees, teas, and hot cocos. Uh, that's kind of what Scabby and I have been drinking when we got all frou-frou with our, our beverages of choice. Uh, link is Podcast Grunts is the code. Link's in the show notes, and you can help us out. Anyway, thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For my crazy co-host, I am J.R. Hanley, and this was the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back next week at the same time where we'll indulge our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, and all things that go boom. Paul, Nathan, Chris, thank you for coming on. This has been a pleasure. Thank you. All thank right. Thank you. We are out.